0: Hey, it's Angela, host of a Red Hat podcast you might have heard of called Compiler. What's your schedule like in May? Or like May 6th through 9th? Because that's when Red Hat Summit and Ansible Fest are coming to Denver. Two tech events under one roof with so much to explore hybrid cloud, automation, AI, you name it. Register with the code RHpodcast to save $400. Just visit red.ht forward slash go to summit.
1: I've been an active member of the Drupal community for over 15 years. And um, once I got what I felt was my 10,000 hours in building Drupal sites, I turned my attention towards writing curriculum and, and teaching people to do what I do.
2: This is Mike Anello. He's a trainer and developer who specializes in Drupal. Drupal is a web content management system that we've talked about over the course of the few, last few episodes. Mike and his team are known for a training program with a very striking backstory.
1: It's a 12 week, three-ish time a week, a Drupal training course that got started about 11 years ago, oddly enough, Because the space shuttle program retired.
2: It was around the early 2010s that the space shuttle program was winding down. Mike's wife caught wind of what was happening at Kennedy Space Center and the fallout from the program's retirement.
1: Thousands of folks who work at Kennedy Space Center were being laid off. And the majority of them were skilled workers.
2: Together, the couple began to work on a proposal.
1: Our idea was that we were going to create a long-form Drupal training program, specifically geared towards skilled IT workers who were being laid off from Kennedy Space Center.
2: But it was easier said than done. While there were some people who had relevant skills, good enough to rebound from the layoffs, there were others with more steep challenges.
1: Some of them had, had relatively modern experience, And we had other folks who had worked on software for, like, the Space Shuttle Launch Control System, which, if you think about it, all that stuff was, like, written in the 1970s, you know, maybe the 1980s. So these were folks who, you know, they knew programming, but they walked out of a time machine, you know, (laughs) almost.
2: Mike and his team would have to bring the experiences of those programmers into a new age, Hearing this story made me wonder. When IT professionals differ in experience, they have to bridge gaps in what they know and how they communicate. Teams may be from different countries or backgrounds. They may even work in different areas of the stack. But everyone has to be able to understand each other so that programming and development, all those things we've been talking about, can come together. How do we build that common language?
3: This is Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat. I'm Brent Semino.
0: And I'm Angela Andrews.
3: We're taking you on a journey through the software stack. We call the series Stack Unstuck.
0: Today, we are wrapping up that journey. If you want to listen to it from the beginning, you can start from our episode, The Great Stack Debate.
3: Both of our producers, Johan Philippine and Kim Huang, here with our story.
0: Yay. So Kim, Johan, do you know what this story reminds me of? Do share. So I remember when my mom, she was a programmer. She went to school for programming back in the, I want to say the 80s, right? Mm -hmm. Punch cards and the whole shebang. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: I remember her like trying to make this leap, you know, her being this really technical person. And it It was like apples and carburetors. It was not the same thing. So I can only imagine, you know, Mike and his wife, how difficult Mm. it had to be to retool people who had learned this one way of technology. Yeah. And moving Mm. into something like Drupal, which is a lot of WYSIWYG, but a lot of, you Mm -hmm. know, understanding the underpinnings. I can Mm -hmm. only imagine
2: how challenging that must have been for them. Yeah. Yeah. He talks a lot about um, educating a group of people that have a wide set
1: of mm-hmm. skills,
2: right? Mm-hmm. That, and that's kind of the setting that a lot of people are faced with when you're talking about like coding boot camps or even yeah. mm-hmm. you know formal education. You have so many people with different skill levels and different skills themselves. Mm-hmm. I love this episode already already. I spoke with someone that I thought would have a lot of interesting things to say about that common language or dealing with people and how they communicate across the stack or across different levels of experience. His name is Ryan Singer, and he's the former director of engineering at Basecamp. Nowadays, he's an author and a product developer.
4: If I was working in the auto industry or something like that, there would be so many kind of old things that were figured out in the 70s and 80s and everything, you know, that would be kind of set in stone. And in the software industry, it's this kind of like crazy free-for-all, right? Of everybody trying to understand like, whoa, what do we do and how do we do it?
2: Ryan often talks to people about what he says are core concepts of the development process. One of them he talks about at length is called the vertical slice.
4: This is where we talk about kind of horizontal layers versus doing one vertical slice and this idea of one vertical slice where there's some back end working there's something that you can click on and it does something you know that we can we can actually try it out and understand like does it do what we thought it was going to do and kind of getting to that point sooner than later that's a really great moment for a team
3: i don't think i quite understand this concept of the vertical slice Can
2: you either? Can
3: you give me an example of this, Kim?
2: Sure. Uh, A vertical slice, kind of, um, if you're thinking about a a cake, right? If you're thinking about different layers, like different layers of the stack, Mm -hmm. if you're cutting something vertically, it's showing all of those layers working in sync. They're all working together. All the flavors of the cake, all the layers, the frosting, the cream in the center, the sprinkles, they're all working together to kind of give you what you should expect from that cake, right? It's the same thing in development. A vertical slice is like showing all those different components. What we've talked about over the course of the last few episodes, all working together to bring whatever product that a customer is looking for to life. Okay. It's kind of a different like vibe from a demo where a lot of the parts of a demo can be simulated. You kind of want to demonstrate to the person who's looking at the demo. Uh, a slice of reality that's what a vertical slice is and that can be used to communicate to different people who work in different areas of the stack a holistic picture of what the work is now that can open up discussion for challenges issues and even improvements that can be made on future versions of whatever they're building
3: so we've been talking all series long about the the software stack but where does that come in here kim
2: ryan says challenges can come up that are beyond the the issue or the topic of what stack to use in a way the stack often takes a back seat to those much larger conversations
4: honestly the same problems happen everywhere you know and 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 people like to have really spirited debates about you shouldn't be using this, you should be using that, but real life is real life, and we don't just you know we don't get to go in with our perfect programming language and our perfect framework of choice and the thing is that a lot of companies today don't have the clarity about the different kinds of work that have to be done in order to make a product, and so they kind of dump it all on the programmers like they should figure it all out, but that doesn't mean that as a programmer now. You are responsible for becoming a product strategist and the UI designer, and all of those things. The more that we become clear on, oh, these are different kinds of work, then as a programmer, if, you know, if someone is saying we need to decide which questions to ask people in the onboarding screen, and we say, well, whose job is it here to talk to customers?
0: There are so many different parts of how do we get this product to market. It's not just about programming. It's it's about, he talked about, you know, strategy and UI and yeah. there's testing and there's, it's it's huge. Yeah. Again, when I'm hearing it, I really, I'm trying to follow, but it sounds like it's just a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And maybe the issue is big. Maybe
2: that's why yeah. it sounds this way. I think that you understand what he's saying perfectly and that programming is complicated and building software is complicated and... Some people don't really have kind of a grasp on how complicated it can be and how complex it can be. And I think that's what he's saying here. It's complicated.
3: Yeah. It's
0: complicated.
3: (laughs) But Kim, what you said earlier, I think is really important here, which is that, you know, we have been talking about the stack in this series and like development processes and like what it takes to build an application, for example, But what you said earlier is that, like, that often takes a back seat. Right. That's not always at the foreground of what companies are talking about or even like decision makers are sometimes talking about.
2: Yes, those fundamental questions are most important, right, because the what and the why is going to determine the how. In this case, uh, if the team is either choosing their stack or they're inheriting it, they need to have a shared understanding of how those components are going to come together to build what they want to build.
3: Not only the components, but the people as
2: well, right? Exactly.
4: What I find is that it's the same techniques that we need to do no matter what framework we're using. We need to not just dive in and start building without having a clear understanding of what connects to what. You know, we do need to do a little bit of homework to understand how does the hip bone connect to the leg bone? Is the thing that we want to do, does that API actually give us what we think it's going to give us? Is the data coming in the form that we think? We think we can change this billing system, but does it actually work the way that we thought? Those things should actually be worked out before we commit.
0: Before a line of code is written. Mm -hmm. That is a lot to understand the hip bone connecting to the leg bone and the rest of it. It is so important to to figure out before you start writing code. It's almost like, wow, let's paint the walls. Wait a minute. Mm. You don't even have the framing up. What are you talking about walls for? (laughs) We haven't even built this thing. So that analogy is very good.
3: How often does that happen in practice, Angela?
0: Well, you think about it. Mm -hmm. programmers just want to start writing code yeah Mm -hmm. they just want to start doing that thing Mm -hmm. they can maybe do a little bit of pseudocoding you know thinking a problem out loud putting pieces together that they kind of take from their experiences and what they think could be a solution for this problem but again because there are so many disparate parts as we've learned in the stack you really do have to understand the really full picture. And I think once you, if you just start digging and start coding, you're really missing a really big part of, Mm. well, the communication part of it. So it has to be much more holistic. And I think that's what um, Ryan is alluding to. Mm. There's a lot of work that has to be done before we dig into the the what Mm. and the why. And then you get to the how.
3: I'm going to ask A question that i think i know the answer to
0: okay
3: what happens if you don't figure all this stuff out ahead of time
2: um you uh, ship it yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's what happens okay yeah i mean there's a lot of you know bugs that happen that you have to fix while things are in production yeah Uh, sometimes things don't ever get off the ground and you have to throw it all away anyway so there's a lot of different scenarios
3: Johan, I want to bring you in here. What are, what are some of these different scenarios?
5: Lewis gave us in the in the database episode an example of, well, when you initially build an application, when you're learning things, for example, his Rolodex application, mm-hmm. you, know, you might have some demands on the application that over time change, right? Mm. And so you might set it up in a way that works initially, um, but then as the application scales, as you demand more things of it, yeah. Those changes in demand means that you also have a change in how you need to to write and maintain that application. Mm.
0: Good point. So, what's the why is this so difficult? <laughs> I guess it, we're still trying to figure this out. It seems pretty clear cut. If you have all the pieces, if you're communicating, uh-huh.
2: why is it so hard? Mm-hmm. Mm, that's right. And we've heard a lot from Ryan about the commonality of all these problems that people can face in development. Yeah. And we've heard some ways to address them. But to Angela's point, why are they still so hard to address? We're going to talk about that next.
5: So the next person we spoke to is David Van Duser, and he's a consulting architect here at Red Hat. Now, he's been tinkering with computers and and working on them for quite a while. And that history, having lived through a few different eras of computing, gives him a lot of context for the work that he's doing today. And that's context that newer developers and newer people in IT in general, they often don't have. And when they're on a team together, you know, that can be an issue.
6: I struggle with this because uh, I think that people who don't have my particular background in time, and, you know, encountering certain of these devices uh, early on in the hobby years when you could still take apart a Macintosh and see all of the different chips where now they're pretty much sealed shut, I don't share all these ex- experiences with younger practitioners or, or, or even older practitioners who are newer to the, the field. For me, it's about learning new vocabulary because quite often I'll find, even though we don't share this vocabulary that I take a second nature, the concepts are there. They've just been introduced in a different way. So part of that for me is I have to learn, we all have to learn different ways to develop a baseline vocabulary so we can communicate with each other. One thing that I think is a big problem in the industry is that this sometimes becomes like a, a contest. Like, if you can't speak my language, then I don't have time for you.
0: Okay, so David is speaking directly to me.
3: Yeah. In in, in this
0: tape, he is yeah. speaking to me. So I'm currently in this uh, DevOps boot camp, and I will say I'm the more senior person in this boot camp. Yeah. And because I've been doing this for so long and listening to how these younger folks are talking about technology and their take on it and you know how they came into it I find myself having to stop I have to stop first because, you know, I don't want to come off as the smarty pants in the room because what they're saying is really valid. But because they don't have the historical context, you see where some things are missing. So as the more senior person, I have to be very mindful. How do I communicate this in a way so they can understand the the historic technology about what we're talking about? So it kind of makes sense in this newer realm where everything is code and this is Uh how this works Uh it is a really thin line to walk in in this scenario because you you really do have much more experience and you could probably run circles but there's no need for that it's Uh I think it's our part Uh is to help these younger practitioners understand that you know it came from somewhere it, uh-huh. and let's make these let's build these bridges to this is how it used to be this is how we're doing it now let's make these connections because i think it'll be one it's a learning experience for them and two it's helping you understand better where they're coming from because you're meeting in the middle somewhere yeah. so i find myself having this conversation with myself every night i'm sitting yeah. on this yeah. sitting on sitting in class going oh my god i just I, I just want to, <laughs> and you can't, right? You can't do this. So yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's a tightrope. Wor- tight
3: it sounds like another part of what he's saying is that if you're sort of carrying this attitude, I guess, of like, if if you can't speak my language or if you don't know my vocabulary, then we can't even talk. You know, like, that is the wrong way to oh, approach us. Oh, yeah. That,
0: that's not helpful. No. Yeah. yeah.
5: That's how you build up walls between different elements of your team and then just problems don't get solved. or not as quickly yeah. Isn't this as they what could.
0: DevOps was supposed to solve? Exactly. Yeah.
5: <laughs> David goes on to talk more about how making sure that we're all speaking the same language, that we're all understanding each other is a huge part in identifying and, and solving problems together
6: we also need to be able to understand how these layers of the, the big distributed stacks are built on analogous smaller components that we can understand on our own but in order to in order to get that common enough la- layer of terminology this is the tribalism of different languages different operating systems but the the concepts live there in the same like they they live there no matter what you're doing with however many, whatever size of computing system, you at the bottom, you've got ones and zeros, binary code that's interpreted in a certain way, you know, based on a compiler. Shout out to the, the name of the podcast. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Always going to include that at every opportunity, and I'm not going to apologize for it.
0: <laughs> I love it. I actually talked to Evan last week. Evan Stoner was a guest on one of the previous yeah. episodes yeah. in Stack mm-hmm. and Stuck. Mm-hmm. And we were in a meeting together and he was like, yeah, you know, you sounded a little, I don't know, angry. And I was like, <laughs> that wasn't my point. But again, like developers, I'm an infrastructure person. He has a developer background. Mm. And he was just like, we have such differing opinions about things mm-hmm. and okay. that's where the tribalism comes in we bring our preconceived notions about how mm. things should work how yes. things should be and yeah. you know it was just so funny because i was, in, I was a bunch of developers <laughs> i'm one of the few infrastructure people in this conversation but we're really talking about the same thing it's mm-hmm. just that we're yeah. coming at it from different angles. And mm-hmm. we're, we're really trying to find how we meet in the middle yeah. because yeah. we're all working on the same project. We're all working on the same thing. So, like you said, it's really all ones and zeros, but how do we, coming from our different tribes, yeah.
2: mm-hmm.
0: how do we translate the, yeah. what we're trying to say so it's very basic amongst mm-hmm. everybody across the stack? That's a skill. That is really a skill.
3: And also, how do we learn about and listen to people who are coming from a different perspective or coming from a different set of
0: knowledge
3: Mm -hmm. um, or
0: skills? Listening first, Mm -hmm. that's always the best way to have a conversation and to communicate effectively. You can't lead with what you think is right. It's Mm -hmm. better to listen, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. to see what other people have to say about a situation.
3: And this is why I love what we've been doing in this series is that it gives us a little bit of understanding of what everyone is doing around us, right? And it gives us some of that shared vocabulary, you know, Mm -hmm. so that we can start to have a little bit of empathy and understanding for, say, the complexity, you know, that our coworker is facing in the database, right? Mm -hmm. Or... You know, any example from any episode that we have have done in this series. And I think that that's a I don't know. i I feel like that's a that's a skill that all of us should be sort of building
0: it is and as as with all skills, they take practice yeah,
5: yeah. I think one of the really important parts of that and going back to the meeting you had with evan stoner and and the rest of the developers is that. Understanding each other is, is wonderful. Uh, you also have to be able to express and defend your own choices as well, right? Because <laughs> the choices that you're putting forward are maybe the best solution that you see, but that that's going to affect the way that they implement their solution. And yeah, kind of learning how to how to argue and defend your position while also taking and listening and and hearing. How that's going to affect how they do their work, I think, is, is the, the crux of, of what we're trying to get at here. Mm-hmm. All a skill. Underneath the terms that we come up with, underneath the different tools that we use, there's that common set of ideas and processes mm-hmm. that are, mm-hmm. in the end, functionally the
0: same. Thank you. Thank you.
5: <laughs> One
6: thing that I try to push folks to do when I see these different tribal communities interacting is push them to use the simpler language. If there's some term that you have, you might be aware that the Java programmers s- you refer to dictionaries as maps. We, we have ways of going outside our core vocabulary and simplifying. And, and if we can get better at that, at acknowledging when we are talking within our tribes and learning how to welcome people without that vocabulary, And not just welcome novices, but like speak to other experts in different tribes with a more common language. There'll be more communities. We can still be celebrities in our micro-community, but there'll just be more people out there, more opportunities for everyone.
3: I think what I'm hearing here is that the, the practice of building software is deeply human. Like, as technical as we think it is and it, it is very technical. It's also like deeply human. Like a big part of, of building software well is communication and cooperation.
0: It's all about communication. It's yeah. and it's finding it's finding a way to communicate commonly. Yes. That's where everyone has something to contribute. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about like in the example he used about programmers using some say dictionaries some say maps well if you know it's the same data structure you can agree to disagree that you may say dictionaries but you do mean maps right you can agree to disagree on that that's we're 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 making that a commonality mm-hmm. right we're not choosing one over the other but this is exactly what we're talking about so i think it's when we decide that you know this is the language that we're going to speak. And and he used the, the term where we're not just talking about folks who don't speak any of the
2: language, mm-hmm. right?
0: Because they're malleable. They're going to come in and pick up things yeah. along and, mm-hmm. and hear those conversations. But when the experts come in with their deep, very deep understanding and they bring those gems to us, you know, and enlighten us, that's helping to broaden our our language as well. So there's a lot of give and take. It's it's just the the communication is so key mm-hmm. and deciding what that language is gonna be and then listening. It's a lot of listening mm-hmm. <laughs> to what others have to say.
3: Let me ask you, Johan, so mm-hmm. David he's really emphasizing the need to simplify. Yes. Why isn't the answer to this to learn Everything about every layer of the stack. Like, if you just knew everything, wouldn't that also make (laughs) (laughs) like communication a lot easier? I
5: I saw Angela just roll her eyes at that one. That's just (laughs) that's a you know we're trying to tackle this with the series, and you know over the past few episodes, you know we've barely been able to yeah. dive into each each layer of the stack it's a lot to ask right that's a lot to learn even in an industry where constant education is pretty much required I mean putting yeah. that much effort into learning every single element of the stack yeah it's gonna it's gonna help you out in the long run but that's you know it's a lot to ask for
0: mm, it is you can't keep up if you had to know everything there's <laughs> there's no way there's no way
5: <laughs> now David explained to us that things would probably go a lot more smoothly if people adopted more of a permanent beginner's mindset so that they could relate to each other, especially across disciplines and across layers of the stack.
6: On the database person side, they have to they can see things like individual transactions uh, that wrote to these fields, and then they'll need to be able to speak competently, maybe find a timestamp And the application developer will see, oh, you got a transaction error that said a field was missing. And if I look over here, oh, we didn't upgrade our ORM schema. And so our front end doesn't, but you wouldn't find that unless you were able to correlate and discuss it in the first place.
5: So here he's really advocating for, you know, we were just talking about making sure that you're speaking in such a way that you can understand each other. You know, but even though you're talking about really technical aspects of where the problem is coming from uh it looked like it was a problem that was you know across multiple different layers of the stack Mm -hmm. and so any one individual person probably wouldn't be able to fix that right and so the the teamwork is what really and that communication is what really led them to identify the problem and then be able to fix it
0: So more on that vertical stack phrase that we talked about earlier. Vertical where, slice. Mm-hmm. Oh, vertical slice. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of lends a little bit to that, where mm. in this scenario, he was talking about the database person mm-hmm. having to you know, discover this error. And how do I translate what I'm seeing to a developer so it makes sense to what they're seeing. Mm. And when you start looking at that slice and where those pieces start to intersect, mm-hmm. you're gonna come up with that language that makes sense right there, mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah. right there, that makes yeah. sense right there, because there's no other way to do it. You, you can't communicate effectively unless you figure out, well, where are we intersecting? Yeah. And how can we make this part where we're intersecting, how can we make it make sense? that's that's the that's almost like the money shot and it's 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 being open to understanding well i don't know exactly how they do what they do but i do understand what i know let me ask those questions let me be inquisitive let me have that beginner's mindset like i don't know what this means to you but you know this Uh is what i'm seeing type thing so yeah it's all about communicating
5: yeah Kim's got a few more stories about what your team can achieve when they're all communicating really well.
2: Back to the top of our episode, the story about Mike Anello and the Kennedy Space Center. How did it all turn out? Well, you'll be happy to know that overall, the program was a success. Uh, A lot of people who worked in the space shuttle program moved on and transitioned into new jobs and new industries. And since then, Mike has trained hundreds of people. I asked him what he thinks is the most important takeaway from the experience.
1: My expectation is not everyone's gonna be like a developer workflow expert, but you need to know the generalities of it so that you can be introduced to a new way of doing things, but not have it be like learning a, a completely foreign language, maybe just a dialect.
2: And for those who are newer to tech, well, here's some wisdom from Ryan Singer.
4: There isn't this perfect A to Z university education for software development. It's it's a hands-on kind of a craft that you kind of learn here and there, and then you get into a job and all of a sudden you're like supposed to make something work and you're like, oh my God, how do I do this? <laughs> so, uh, You know, um, I think the the best thing really that can happen is to form a relationship between junior and senior and of course when we come into a team and we're the ones who are new we don't want to admit all the things that we don't know because we're we're supposed to be there as somebody who's getting paid to do this job and we're supposed to be qualified and blah 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 right but the thing is there's a lot that we don't know and if if we can go to the senior people with this attitude of like how would you approach this or or even better, um, where do you think I should start on this problem? Like, what is the hardest part of this thing that I need to solve first?
0: That is interesting you know, I've been in spaces where I've been the junior person and Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that you're not wasting time on a question. You want to make sure that you form your question as fully as you possibly can, because you don't want to come in half-assed. You want to come in Mm. whole-assed. And when you come into that senior, you're like, I've, I've, this is what I've done. And I, I need your help. You want to be able to, you know, lay your story out. And because again, this is your job. You're supposed to be aware, mm-hmm. even though you're new, but have, having the ability to frame your problem in a way that, one, shows you're interested, two, shows you've done some work and you've, you're have you not coming to them without having done your own homework, and three, that you're open to the the knowledge that someone else has to give you. It's a very vulnerable position to be in, but I think the senior person would really respect the fact that you've kind of Mm -hmm. done a little bit of work and knows and knows how to frame that question, frame that problem uh, effectively.
3: Yeah. So Kim, Johan, Angela, we have spent the past six episodes making our way through the software stack. And so I'm kind of curious, like, what are our big takeaways from this journey that we've been on?
2: Uh, well, Stack Unstuck has been an amazing experience for me. I've learned a lot of things that I did not know before about uh, how apps are built and how software is built mm-hmm. and how the stack comes together. And for me, it's the fact that people rely on understanding the same things so much in software development. If you're on the same team, if you're on you know different teams or teams working in sync or parallel with each other, but not everyone comes into that knowledge the same way. Uh, some people come through different experiences or uh, from different backgrounds. We've had people from you know, working in the public sector, from people working in civic coding and just mm-hmm. kind of like doing things on the side. We've had people going through boot camps or getting certifications on their own. Mm-hmm. There's so many different entry points and we have to find a way to build a a common kind of language to share information those experiences and also lessons learned along the way. Hmm.
5: What about you Johan? The thing that stuck out to me the most was this really interesting mix and you have these really specialized kind of positions and career paths where you Mm -hmm. can really dive deep into any one aspect of the of the stack. But on the other hand, you also have a lot of people who kind of move between the layers, right? And they'll mm-hmm. they'll do the front end for a while, then they'll move on to the database, or they, you know, worked on frameworks for a long time, and then they move on to the operating system, right? So even though these paths and these different layers are so specialized, there is enough room yeah. for people to switch around a lot more than what I was expecting to, to hear.
2: Mm.
3: Yeah. As we've gone through each of these episodes, I've had jameel in my mind uh-huh. so if you remember mm-hmm. from you know the first episode Jamil was um, a fedex driver who was trying to break into the tech industry
5: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: and i'm i'm curious angela like i i think a lot of our audience is in that same place they're newer to tech um like what should they be taking from this series
0: it is my hope that what their takeaway is, is that we don't have this all figured out. Mm. That's the first Uh thing. Um, You would think that everyone is so experienced and they, they have all this knowledge, but... As you can see, especially in this episode, we're still trying to figure out how to communicate effectively, right? We're still trying to figure out a lot of the basic things because having a common language that can mm-hmm. speak to our newer folks and that our more seasoned folks can contribute to, those are the things that they should know that that never is going to go away, right? Mm-hmm. Some of the main things, and these are the themes that I've seen across, and starting with Jamil and his hunger mm-hmm. to be in tech and, and his curiosity and, you know, how he was communicating and networking with people that he was delivering packages to. Mm-hmm. Those are the things... That we're constantly going to be doing throughout our entire career staying curious, always communicating effectively, and also being empathetic to people who are more junior or more senior because the isms exist, and we have to be very mindful of how we're communicating with people. So that's what you see across all the layers. You're seeing that people are inquisitive, people are always willing to learn new things. You know they're not afraid to learn new things. How are we communicating with people that we're working with? There's all these are these are constants that'll yep. always remain intact. And you know, and tech is open. You know, there's always room for more people to make their way into it because mm-hmm. we love you here. We <laughs> we want more people like yeah. Jamil to, to join us, right? Because they're hungry and and they make it worth doing. Mm-hmm. So. I loved this episode. I loved all of these episodes, and wow. Um, I'm glad y'all did this. This Stack Unstuck was a great idea. Yeah. It was a great idea. And that does it for this episode of Compiler.
3: Today's episode was produced by Kim Wong, Johan Philippine, and Caroline Craighead. Victoria Lawton provides us with everything we need from A to Z.
0: Our audio engineer is Christian Proham. Special thanks to Sean Cole. Our theme song was composed by Mary Chetta.
3: A big thank you to our guests, Mike Anello, Ryan Singer, and David Van Duser. David, along with uh, a few other Red Hatters, are actually building a game to teach the basics of the software stack. You can play through it, or better yet, you can help build it check out our show notes to see what they've done so far
0: our audio team includes lee day laura barnes stephanie wonderlick mike esser nick burns aaron williamson karen king boo boo house rachel Artell, mike compton ocean matthews alex Trebulsi, and laura walters
3: if you like this series share it with your friends um go ahead and rate the show leave a review Follow the show. It really does help us out.
0: We love that you listen. Keep on listening. Until next time.
3: All right. We'll see you then. Hi, I'm Mike Ferris, Chief Strategy Officer and longtime Red Hatter. I love thinking about what happens next with generative AI. But here's the thing. Foundation models alone don't add up to an AI strategy. And why is that? Well, first, models aren't one-size-fits-all. You have to fine-tune or augment these models with your own data, and then you have to serve them for your own use case. Second, one-and-done isn't how AI works. You've got to make it easier for data scientists, app developers, and ops teams to iterate together. And third, AI workloads demand the ability to dynamically scale access to compute resources. You need a consistent platform, whether you build and serve these models on-premise, or in the cloud, or at the edge. This is complex stuff, and Red Hat OpenShift AI is here to help. Head to redhat.com to see how.